Good morning. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is Zaid Sarabian, and he's the CEO of Kintara Therapeutics. Good morning, Saeed. Good morning. So thanks for joining us. And, and for those that aren't familiar with Kintara, can you um, just give us a quick overview of the company? Yes, we are a NASDAQ-listed company, and due to recent events, uh, because of an acquisition we made, we recently changed the name of the company to Kintara, and the NASDAQ symbol is KTRA. The company is really focused on uh, oncology indications for grossly underserved patients. Uh, we currently have two phase three ready indications we're uh, pursuing. The first one is a, uh, is a very deadly disease. It's glioblastoma multiforma, which is a specific kind of cancer that Senator McCain passed away from. Senator Ted Kennedy got the same disease. Bo Biden, President uh, Biden's son, suffered from the disease. It's an incredibly terrible disease because less than 5% of patients who get glioblastoma multiforma, uh, which is a grade 4 tumor, survive uh, beyond five years. So it's got a 95% uh, death rate. Uh, and the current drug, temozolomide, which is a chemotherapy regimen, was approved uh, in 1999, and it has been generic since 2010. And that's what we mean by grossly underserved patients um, because the current first-line and recurrent-setting drugs are very ineffective to begin with as reflected by the ongoing um, very, very tiny survival rate. But also in glioblastoma, over 60% of the patients have an enzyme that repairs the damage done by the current first-line therapy, temozolomide. And that's the patient population, which is a very uh, highly biomarker-identified patient group with standard of care uh, diagnostics for it, are even worse served than the average GBM because temozolomide is even less effective in those patients. Um, the patients that have this particular repair enzyme survival for them, progression-free survival for them is half of uh, what it is for the patients without this enzyme. So Kintara has been primarily focused on this 60% plus of GBM population with this enzyme because they have a worse prognosis. Um, but we know that our drug is equipotent in all GBM populations, uh, but it's just a business decision to go after the patients that are the most suffering right now before we expand to the other patient group. So that's one indication. In order to diversify the company and increase the probability of success, in August of this year, two months ago, we acquired another company called Agero, they also are an oncology-based uh, uh, company, and they also are going after grossly underserved patients. Um, the asset there is a photodynamic therapy where it's uh, induced, injected into the patient, and 24 hours later they come in and we activate the drug via uh, off-the-shelf laser light. And uh, that uh, acquisition was closed in August, and that's a phase three asset. We're now in the process of manufacturing enough drug to initiate the phase three study 
for CMBC, cutaneous metastatic breast cancer, which is a terrible disease, usually follows patients who've had mastectomy. It's open sores and lesions, infections, uh, malodorous, quite painful, that form on the chest wall, neck, and back. And the current therapies, radiation and chemotherapy, are pretty ineffective. So we now have two phase three assets with the GBM uh, asset, VAL083, which is a DNA-affecting alkylating agent. It's a cytotoxic agent. Going into a registration study, we have uh, planned on the first patient being enrolled in that registration study, uh, maybe as early as uh, this year, but certainly in the very early part of calendar year 21. And we're targeting initiating our phase three for the CMBC trial in the middle of 2021 after we've manufactured sufficient quantity of drug to uh, start that trial. Great. You've got a, a lot going on. Um, in, in terms of the, the size uh, of the market for your, your uh, two lead candidates, what, what's the market opportunity? That's a great question. Uh, in GBM, Global Data recently published uh, in, I think it was a 2018 uh, study uh, that showed uh, GBM is currently an $800 million market growing to $1.4 billion and by 2027. And for CMBC, cutaneous metastatic breast cancer, uh, we had a study done by Charles River Associates that showed a, uh, a $500 million market uh, for CMBC for our product. So both of the indications are very large uh, potential revenue opportunities that are available because the current therapies either don't work or have very nominal benefit for these patients. Okay. And, and so you acquired one. Was the other acquired as well, or was that uh, developed in-house? No, uh, VAL-083, the cytotoxic agent, was also acquired about 10 years ago. The drug itself, the compound, was developed at National Cancer Institute, um, and a uh, number of events occurred, including the uh, funding being cut for NCI from doing clinical trials, etc. So our founder, Dennis Brown, uh, who was always looking for a new um, better mousetraps and had an inherent interest in GBM, approached National Cancer Institute, and we in-licensed the compound and the data uh, to be used for all future indication. It's interesting to note that while National Cancer Institute owned this uh, product, the cytotoxic agent, they actually ran 40 phase one and phase two clinical trials and multiple solid tumor indications. So above and beyond GBM, there is a lot of data to support the potential efficacy of uh, VAL-083 in other indications like ovarian cancer, where we have an uh, orphan drug designation outstanding for us, and we will pursue that uh, in a linear, a serial fashion. I think the best uh, use of our existing capital is to take our two late-stage phase three compounds through the clinic and over the goal line 
and then use the non-dilutive sources of capital from that, revenues, milestones, royalties, etc., because I intend to partner uh, the GBM asset out uh, with the right franchise um, to pursue these other indications. So in addition to um, GBM, uh, ovarian cancer, particularly platinum-resistant ovarian cancer, is a very deadly disease, and the incidence rates are going on. Are going higher, so we have an um, IND outstanding for that, and we have orphan drug designation. Uh, National Cancer Institute also studied Valo83 in non-small cell lung cancer, which makes up 80% of all lung cancers. Um, so there is multiple other follow-on indications that we uh, benefit from uh, based on the licensing of Valo83 uh, about 10 years ago. It sounds like in your portfolio you have some different mechanism of actions as well as some platform technology. Is that correct? Uh, well, the, the platform technology is really called alkylating agent or cytotoxic agent. Val083, which is the product we're taking into the GBM uh, program uh, forward, is a cytotoxic agent which have a, uh, come from a platform of products that have proven both scientifically and commercially successful. Um, there are many, many current uh, oncology treatments include uh, chemotherapy as a standard of care regimen. So that's why we're very optimistic that uh, you know, we have to show, of course, Valo83 is safe enough, and we have 1,200 patients worth of safety data there. But uh, we are pretty highly confident that because um, cytotoxic agent and alkylating agent have already shown to work very effectively in multiple cancers, we don't have to prove the platform works. All we have to do is prove that this particular chemical compound works. Uh, whereas with other um, companies where they're trying immunotherapy or delivering toxins, sort of the, the shiny objects that attract Wall Street, and I think in the future will have an impact in drug development as Keytruda has, we think for GBM those platforms are still a ways away from success and uh, the cytotoxic platform is an effective tool. In now, PDT... Now by effect, oh, I'm sorry, ahead. continue please. Uh, and in the second uh, asset that we have, photodynamic therapy, similarly, we believe that that uh, photodynamic platform, and in particular REM011, will be effective in multiple indications. So in addition to CMBC, uh, we have plans to, in the future, take it forward uh, with other uh, cutaneous metastatic breast cancer beyond, um, cancers beyond breast cancer, as well as LABCC, Nevis syndrome, et cetera. So there is about uh, three or four additional indications for Valo83 and about half a dozen additional potential indications for REM001, for which uh, we are optimistic we can just expand the, the real estate of uh, patients that can benefit from these two compounds. And for these two compounds, you're not looking for a cure. You're looking to extend quality of life. Is, is that correct? 
That's not quite correct. In GBM, overall survival is the endpoint. So although we do look for better safety signal and better quality of life and uh, patients that we have under care are definitely benefiting from that, according to our uh, physicians at MD Anderson. Uh, in a GBM, the endpoint is overall survival extension. In uh, REM001 and cutaneous metastatic breast cancer, it's actually a quality of life issue, as you mentioned. These patients are, these lesions are painful, they're malodorous, uh, they uh, uh, bleed all the time, they can get infected. So in CMBC, we're actually looking to improve the quality of life for these patients in GBM. It's an extension of life. Okay. And have you had any write-ups in any journals about these? Uh, there have been a couple of write-ups. There was an uh, article published on the study that we executed and completed in China for first-line therapy in a journal, and there have been a couple. But we just started an outreach uh, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, after the merger was completed, after the financing was completed. It seemed like the right time to go tell the Kentara story uh, widely and broadly, especially since uh, in the snow which is Society for Neuro-Oncology meeting that occurred on November 19th, we published data on all three of our phase two patient groups. And in every case, we are doing better than the standard of care compared to the historical control arm. Uh, phase twos, as you know, are not the uh, completion of the task. They're part of the journey, and they're designed to test safety in patients with the disease, as well as possibly dose ranging and efficacy. And they're geared to help the company decide whether they should expend the effort and money to go into a phase three. And we're pretty optimistic that uh, given the three patient groups that we have been studying, newly diagnosed GBM patients that have had no other treatments and they're getting Valoid E3 and radiation instead of standard of care, uh, that's a study that we're showing um, against a uh, historical control of 5.3 to 6.9 months progression-free survival. We're showing 8.7 months. The second arm is a recurrent study uh, being executed at MD Anderson Cancer Center. There, uh, we are against a median overall survival historical comparator of a little over seven months. We're showing eight and a half months, and these are ongoing trials, so they're not completed yet. And lastly, and probably most encouragingly, uh, for uh, newly diagnosed patients, um, again, being executed at the Anderson Cancer Center, we're actually showing a 10-month progression-free survival versus a historical control of 5.3 to 6.9 months. So all three of these uh, data points um, point to the fact that uh, the drug does indeed extend uh, progression-free survival and survival. Uh, its safety profile is incredibly well understood, consistent with other cytotoxic agent. It's lowering of the blood platelet count, which recovers uh, for the most part by itself within the three-week uh, infusion cycle. 
And uh, we're pretty optimistic that our go-forward plans, which are to start our registration study for uh, GBM um, by the end of this month or very early Q1 2021, through a group called Global Coalition for Adaptive Research, uh, which is a turnkey solution for GBM studies. And they're going to be studying three different compounds in parallel against a single control arm. So that's uh, very exciting for us because between the three companies that are joining that trial, Bayer, who's already part of it, Bayer Oncology, Kazia and us as the three companies versus the single control arm, uh, we're fairly optimistic that our data to date, which seems to me better than the other two companies, can continue in a true registration study with a true control arm, which is really a requirement by the FDA. And as Can I you said, it's uh, target. Go ahead. Yeah, some color on how that came about, this collaboration study, and uh, you know, in, in a little color on, on how it works. Are you combining ther therapies, or, or how does it work? It's a great question. So the way it came about is uh, three years ago, 130 clinicians got together in reply to the various calls from patient advocacy groups, patients, and the government to cut the cost of drugs. That's been sort of an overriding thing forever. Uh, everybody believes pharmaceuticals charge too much and drugs are too expensive. And part of that is because drug development is expensive and risky. Um, so uh, GCAR, Global Coalition for Adaptive Research, got together and decided that a good way to create that opportunity is through an adaptive design program. And lucky for us and lucky for GBM patients, the first indication GCAR decided to focus on happened to be GBM. So they put a, a proposal in front of FDA for an adaptive design study that was approved by the FDA and actually has strong FDA support uh, via a quote that's in our slide deck, public slide deck from Janet Woodcock of FDA about how she believes the GBM Agile will change and improve clinical trials in the future. So GCAR started this program, and their strategy was to run three separate companies at a time so that they don't dilute patient enrollment and compare it to a single control arm. So the program at GCAR is geared towards currently three patient groups in GBM. Patient group number one is recurrent which is exactly the patients we've been studying, one of the patient groups we've been studying. The second patient group is called newly diagnosed, and that's broken into two cohorts. The 60% that have an enzyme that uh, renders the current temozolomide highly ineffective. Uh, temozolomide, as I said, was the first-line uh, um, approved drug. So when temozolomide is given to patients, 60 to 66% of GBM patients have an enzyme that readily repairs the DNA damage done by temozolomide, which is a single-strand break of the DNA. Those patients have about half the progression-free survival versus the other roughly 40% of patients that do not have that enzyme. 
So uh, in the GCAR trial, there is recurrent, one group, and then group two is uh, newly diagnosed MGMT methylated, which is 40% of the patients, and newly diagnosed MGMT unmethylated, which is the biggest underserved patient population out of everything we talked about um, that have this enzyme that repairs the damage done by the current therapy. We are optimistic that when we initiate our trial, we will be going into all three arms, and that obviously gives us three shots on goal because any of those arms succeeding is a multi-hundred million dollar potential revenue stream. And then regarding your question of the treatment paradigm, newly diagnosed means that the patients will get the current standard of care, which is surgery, and surgery is called debulking because the physicians cannot remove often enough the totality of the tumor. This tumor infiltrates the microcapillaries. It's not a solid tumor like a marble where you can go remove it. Uh, quite often, you cannot even see the tumor inside the microcapillaries. And more importantly, unlike other solid tumor cancers uh, like um, breast cancer. My wife had it and she chose to have a double mastectomy in order not to have to worry about a recurrence. In the brain, you cannot readily remove extra brain tissue to give yourself a safety margin. Uh, when they do breast surgery and cancer, they remove the, um, the tumor, but they also try to remove three centimeters of uh, peripheral tissue as what's the safety margin. With brain, you can't do that because you'll be removing brain matter. So uh, the physicians and surgeons have limitations on what they can do. That's why the drugs have to be a systemic drug that cross the blood-brain barrier. So in the GCAR trial, the recurrence setting is pretty simple. They have had surgery and temozolomide. The disease has returned, and they're going to be getting val 83 as second line instead of lomustin. Lomustin is the current second-line approval. They will not be given lomustin because lomustin has very bad side effects and the physicians would prefer not to give it. Then in the newly diagnosed setting, uh, we will certainly go into the MGMT unmethylated, which is the 60 to 66% that have this repair enzyme. And there is a proposal for us to also be the uniquely the first company to also participate in the methylated group. That is an FDA uh, decision that is pending, and we will see what the outcome of that is. But we certainly are optimistic that we'll start the recurrent setting and the 60 to 66% of patients that have the MGMT enzyme um, late this year, early next year. Those patients will get surgery, then they'll get 42 days of radiation and temozolomide, the current drug, and then instead of continuing on temozolomide for up to 12 cycles every five weeks, they start getting BALO83. This is exactly the same paradigm that the other two companies that are going through the GCAR trial will be pursuing. That clinical trial so, design is exactly the same. So, so how does the FDA view this? Do they, they view it as a phase three or, or what? 
And, you know, it's an interesting question. So it's, a, it's called a registration study, and it has two components to it. There is 100 to 150 person safety and learning. And if you don't reach the futility endpoints of, of the trial, then you go forward into the second stage, which is only 50 more patients before an NDA submission. So the totality is 100 to 150 patients in three patient cohorts. If all of them show good results, then all of them go forward. But if any of them shows the necessary good results, then only that arm goes forward with up to 50 more patients. So all of that is what's called a registration study, and it's effectively the equivalent of the phase three. Very good. And then how about partners? Do you have any at this time, and, and what's your partnering strategy? Uh, we, we certainly have GCAR as our partner because they're, as a nonprofit organization, they uh, uh, kind of asked us to the dance, and we agreed to join. Uh, so they're our execution partner. It's a turnkey solution. As far as biotech partners, not yet. Uh, we believe that it was better to advance the drug into uh, sort of a phase three because you can imagine uh, the kinds of deals that you can get once you're in or through a phase three could be much more lucrative than an early stage uh, compound uh, partnership. Uh, as a matter of fact, we are just starting the partnering outreach through an announcement we sent out last Thursday that in two days on the December 10th, we're attending a partnering event. It's, uh, it's called Drug Development uh, Partnering Summit. It's a virtual event where companies like us, and it's a GBM event only, so all the GBM companies that are currently pursuing it and many of the GBM companies that have historically pursued it and failed are attending to have partnering discussions. So we're just beginning the partnering discussions. Okay. And in terms of runway, what's the cash and cash burn look like? We have guided the market that the current capital, we raised $25 million gross in August, and I'm very pleased with the structure of the financing. It was an at-the-market financing with no upfront warrants, which for a microcap is a pretty strong uh, financing. We have guided the market that that capital will take us into Q1 2022, and between now and then, we have a half a dozen uh, value, what we hope and believe will be value accretive milestones uh, before we have to raise the money for the last stage of GCAR. We are funded for stage one of GCAR, which is the 100 to 150 patients I mentioned. And we are going to go back and raise a little bit more money for that final 50 patients at a time we've gotten sort of uh, made that um, step progress from stage one to stage two, and that's expected to be late 2021, early, late so, 2021, early 2022. So, so looking out over, the, you know, let's say, just the next year, what are some of the, the events and milestones that uh, we should look for? I think the first one is going to be the first patient dosing in the GBM Agile trial. Uh, you know that when you start the final stage and the registration study on phase three is so the final stage before you seek FDA uh, approval for, uh, with a new drug application. So we are uh, targeting that first patient being 
dosed uh, maybe in December or January timeframe. Then in Q1 of next calendar year, we will be publishing the top line results from our recurrent study at MD Anderson. Uh, we're less than a handful of patients away from complete enrollment in that study, and that study had 83 total patients in it. Then in Q2 of uh, next calendar year, calendar year 2021, in six or seven months, we'll be publishing the top-line results from the newly diagnosed adjuvant setting. That's the one that we're currently showing very, very good uh, progression-free survival versus historical control, and it certainly is uh, the, one of the major patient groups, two of the pa major patient groups in the GCAR study. So that's in Q2. Interestingly, though, uh, those phase two results are going to be published after we've actually started enrolling our registration study, which is very unusual, but saves time and money for us and our investors. In uh, Q2, we are also looking to have manufactured enough drug to initiate the 15-patient uh, portion of our phase three study for CMBC with our newly acquired asset REM001. So again, that's initiating phase three, uh, Q2. And then lastly, uh, two more parts. One is if we start at the 15 patient study in Q2, we expect to be able to publish the top line results from that in Q4. It's 40,000 patients a year, so it, uh, we believe, based on our KOL input, that enrolling 15 patients is pretty easy and fast. And then finally, in Q1 2022, uh, we expect to get the graduation uh, timeline from stage one of GCAR to stage two, which is the final 50 patients. So those are the biggest, and there's obviously, we'll be publishing other data as it goes along at various scientific meetings, but those are the big pieces. Q1, top-line results from our recurrent study. Q2, top-line results from our adjuvant newly diagnosed, as well as potentially the start of our phase three for CMBC. Q4, top-line results from the 15-patient CMBC, and then Q1, 15 months from now, the hopeful graduation from stage one to stage two of GCAR with only 50 patients left before a hopeful um, NDA submission. Wow. Certainly a lot going on. Well, yeah. thank you so much for taking the, the time to share the Cantera story. Okay. My pleasure. Thank you very, very much.